Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry Edwards is at work at thesoundhealthportal.com. If you'd like more information about the Sound Health Portal or to do a trial and see how it works and the amazing amount of information you get, you can go to soundhealthportal.com, scroll down to current campaigns. A campaign is a free option for you to use a software, have your vocal print or your vocal recording run through the software and get a report back with information about where things might be too high or too low or an imbalance of some kind. Or maybe you're just perfect. That would be amazing. Uh, And some of the current campaigns are BioDiet, which looks at nutrition, Corona Conflict, which is obvious, and Neuroplasticity, one of my favorites, where it gives you a report on how everything's firing in your brain and what you might want more of or less of. Or With me, it usually comes down to methylation. So you can go there and you can, uh, it'll walk you through the system. You just scroll down on that landing page and you'll get, uh, you'll get to how to get a free report. You sign up for a free membership, choose one of the campaigns, and then the system will walk you through recording two 30 to 40 second recordings directly from your computer. It's a little better if you use a microphone, my handy dandy go-to mic is the Samsung Go mic. It's a little pocket mic. It's only about two and a half inches long. And you can use that. And especially these days with everybody FaceTiming and Zooming and webinaring and online events, it's really nice to have a little mic that just helps improve your audio quality so you're not just shouting at your computer. And it really makes taking a vocal print, which is a recording of your voice, improve and I carry it with me so that when I'm visiting friends and if somebody wants to look at something, I can just plug it into their computer and we can go right to the Sound Health portal. So you'll submit that recording with the campaign that you chose, and within two to 24 hours, you'll get a report back. I've never had to wait more than 10, but a few people have talked about longer. And I suggest sitting down and having a cup of tea, reviewing the material, and seeing what you think. And then if you have a practitioner to, that is open to such information, you could take it and talk it over with them. And I really recommend you go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on classes, and scroll down to portal presentations to, be, uh, to watch Sherry do a live workup online where she's done a workup, uh, a webinar demo, where she's recorded it, and you can watch her go through the portal and do in real time a workup with somebody. Because the Sound Health Portal, one of the things I love about the Sound Health Portal is it gives us a lot of visuals now, a lot of pie charts and graphs where you see the, oh, this is really what we want to look at now. And then you can click, click around and really see a lot of information in a visual display because it's a, it's a lot of information. So I really do recommend going to Sound Health Options, clicking on the classes, and going and seeing the portal presentations. It's, it's a great service. To hear and share the replay of this show, the audio part of the show, right after you hear the outro music, about 15 minutes after the end of the show, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, and then click on Sound Health Radio, And the flyer of this show will be at the top with a link back to the show notes here at Blog Talk. 
and all the links to the doctor's site and his bio and information. And or at the top of that page now, you can see you'll see a link for either Pocket Casts or Stitcher. And let's say you click on Stitcher, it'll bring up a page with this show at the top and a list of many shows over 700 hours now. And the great thing about both of those applications, either Stitcher or Pocket Casts, is this is a show with the kind of information from Dr. Steenblock. It's really positively radical. Dr. Steenblock's information is that you can share this information. You can re-listen to the podcast or the show and then share it to friends. And on both of those apps and in many podcast aggregating apps, you'll find either three dots or the stack of lines called the hamburger and you click there and there'll be a share option and you can share it directly from that application to your friends or people that you think might want to listen to this and benefit from that information as well. And you can also find an app on, on iOS, I believe they call it Podcasts. And on Android, the default app is Google Podcasts. And I know on Google Podcasts you have a share option. I am not an iOS person, so I can't tell you that, but I'm pretty sure there must be a, an option for that. And there's a lot of really, boy, decades of amazing work that Dr. Steenblack has done. And with that, Dr. David Steenblock, D.O., is the interdisciplinary medical genius taking roads untraveled to find ultimate healing for his patients with a focus on stem cell therapies. Known often as the stroke doctor, he is credited with credited with implementing adult non-embryonic stem cells to significantly repair blood flow to the brain, gifting patients with a revitalization of balanced faculties and normal sense of self. Stem cells, the earliest type of cell in the cell lineage, have the ability to promote growth and healing throughout the entire human body, in turn giving Dr. Steenblock the ability to heal and regenerate the body from inside out in an unlimited number of procedures. He has used stem cells to significantly heal patients suffering from ALS, Alzheimer's and dementia, chronic pain, strokes and traumatic brain injury, heart disease and cerebral palsy, including the discovery of brain barrier breach and cervical spine damage in patients with ALS. To him, every chronic intractable or terminal disease and the people afflicted with them have unique attributes and features that need to be identified and then addressed or otherwise therapeutically capitalized on. Dr. Steenblock's approach to doing medicine includes these elements. Understand the person and the players and their medical issues and afterward create a personalized and targeted treatments. At Dr. Steenblock's Personalized Regenerative Medical Clinic, this process is individualized in the sense disease and, vulner and body vulnerabilities, deficiencies, and the like are identified and are matched to treatments and combinations of treatments that are most likely to affect healing and restoration. Thanks to this kind of dogged commitment to innovation, Dr. Steenblock has gotten results and outcomes that have eluded most other doctors. He has written two books, Chlorella, Natural Medicine, Medicinal Algae, and Umbilical Cord Stem Cell Therapy, The Gift of Healing from Healthy Newborns, co-authored with Anthony G. Payne, Ph.D. 
Dr. David Steenblock is the global expert on stem cell medicine and regenerative therapies, and his heart is morally in a place that goes far beyond the basics of scientific discovery. Dr. Steenblock joins us to talk about stem cells and personalized regenerative therapy. Welcome, Dr. Steenblock. Good morning. Good morning. I don't know if I can live up. I don't know if I can live live up to all of that. <laughs> and I and and, and I laughed as I read that because I left a whole chunk out about your awards and your things. And there's a whole section. I could just read your bio, and the show would be over. It's really quite exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, That's funny. <laughs> I want to ask from the from the outset, how was your your childhood, your first autopsy at the age of four, a launch point for your life? Uh, I think curiosity, uh, desire to learn uh, about how things work um, was uh, and has been continued uh, continuing to be. Uh, a mainstay of my life uh, every day, uh, night and day, basically. I'm thinking about and trying to find uh, new things. Uh, I, you know, it's it's sort of like uh, I was thinking about that. You know, what 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 is it that turns me on it? And it's the excitement of finding something new. You know, it's curiosity, and then you you know, like a cat goes out and finds something. It's exciting, and this is all exciting because any. Every day there's thousands of papers written and thousands of things you can look at and see and find new discoveries from all around the world. And that's one of the, the absolute uh, uh, miracles that we have going on today in this world. We have, yeah, we got all these problems, pandemics, whatever, but the point is that we have millions of people working together to help solve these problems and, and help people uh, stay alive and, and live longer. So uh, it's an exciting time to be alive. And, how did you, I'm wondering how you chose to get your medical degree as a doctor of osteopathic. I think that's such an interesting and cool path. Um, well, that's a long story, but basically it comes down to a more of a holistic approach to everything. You know, um, the medical doctors are drug oriented and surgery. That's kind of what they know and what they're taught. And, and the DO schools are more holistic uh, in terms of, you know, like we were taught more physical therapy and, and uh, manipulations and, and nutrition and, and uh, uh, the whole is uh, greater than the sum of the parts and, and uh, those kinds of things that, uh, uh, or, you know, like another one is the rule of the artery is supreme. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that blood flow <laughs> is extremely important. And, uh, and today uh, we can talk about blood flow because blood flow and stem cells are interrelated. Uh, and uh, we have in our bone marrow, you know, inside of our long bones, like our legs and our hips and spine, we have bone marrow, which is sort of the dark brown. We've all seen it at the kitchen right? when we're eating out at a steak or something. You have a big hunk of meat with a big bone in it. And inside that bone is that brown stuff that's soft. That's the bone marrow. And those bone marrow, that bone marrow has stem cells in it. And you can... Uh, and, and your body itself takes those stem cells out of your own bone marrow and circulates them throughout your blood. And so uh, they are uh, intimately involved with repair and regeneration of all your blood vessels. And part of aging is the fact that these stem cells no longer produce enough growth factors to maintain all the smallest, tiniest blood vessels of your body, which results in a chronic, slightly hypoxic situation 
comes and goes, and that hypoxia cause, causes uh, free radicals and uh, oxidative damage, and you wind up with uh, a lot of problems like arthritis and cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So it all relates back to the blood vessels and, and blood flow, and that's one of the mainstays of the osteopathic profession. I think as, as I was uh, reading your book and also reviewing articles and listening to some of your information on YouTube, and I'll also put the YouTube channel in the show notes because there's a lot of information there, is I think it was both fa- fascinating and great in listening to you speak because oftentimes you would refer to something going on on the spine in a way that regular Western medicine doctors do not. They just don't reference that. They may know it, but they don't have that osteopathic orientation of, oh, the spine could be involved here. And I think that's such a, a wonderful addition to your way of thinking. Um, and I and I kind of, I was going to turn this into a question, but I'll just say it. I have the feeling that part of your passion, your your you turned your dogma into wanting to know Versus in my experience of Western medicine doctors, their dogma is, this is the rule, we stick with the rule. And you seem to be very (laughs) much thinking outside of the rules. Or you don't even know there are rules, maybe. Well, no, that's not quite right. Close to that. Well, they keep telling me there are. (laughs) My medical board keeps telling me, the FDA keeps telling me, there are rules, Steve (laughs) Locke. Well, in, in, in your practice, I'm going to just rattle off a bunch of things you do in your practice, and we're going to talk about each one. But you do, you have done and do hyperbaric oxygen therapy. You do IV vitamin C, or excuse me, IV vitamin C deliveries, EDTA chelation, platelet-rich plasma injections, obviously, and we're going to talk a lot about stem cell therapy, and chelation work and other things. So as a rabble-rousing doctor thinker of alternative medicine, how often do the straight pharma thinkers threaten you in some way? Well, um, not unless I'm out there uh, pushing uh, some something. You know, the, the FDA has uh, rules and regulations, uh, which I've uh, learned uh, the hard way. Uh, and that is it, that you do not go out and say, I've got the answer for this or that. Uh, like, for example, hyperbaric oxygen uh, is very helpful for treatment of stroke patients or uh, chronic tra- traumatic brain injury patients or uh, cerebral palsy. Uh, if you say that, then hyperbaric oxygen becomes a drug, and that's illegal, and the FDA will come after you for promoting an illegal drug. And they'll they'll give you all kinds of hell for that. And they put me through hell. Cost me like a million dollars trying to defend myself against you know that kind of claim. But after it's all said and done, they said, okay, no no problem. Go ahead and do it. Just just don't stop. Just don't advertise a lot. Something like that. So so we we still promote it. And, and it's become really part and parcel of of uh, the physical rehabilitation of stroke patients around the world since I started. And so uh, if nothing else, I can say that I was really instrumental in helping a lot of people who have had strokes learn and, and get better because of hyperbaric oxygen. So, but you don't want to be out there yelling at the top of your lungs that hyperbaric oxygen is the cure-all for stroke because they will come after you. And the same thing <laughs> is true for stem cells. Now, we have a lot of uh, – a lot of uh, – the hype out there in, on the internet and on uh, radio, TV, whatever people are promoting 
uh, all kinds of things and, and claiming uh, that stem cells do this and do that. And, that. and whenever you see a claim like that, in general, that's uh, not legal. And no matter what they say, like they have words like FDA compliant. There is no FDA compliance. Uh, and so you have to have it either approved or not. If you don't have it approved, you're not supposed to be out there saying, well, you know, like uh, uh, for osteoarthritis, stem cells are effective. Uh, you know, that's like the joint disease from old age, wear and tear. Uh, one shot, 80 to 90 percent success rate. How long does it last? Sometimes years and years. Uh, much better than suffering, much better than taking pain pills, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't say that, you know. So if the FDA is listening, I didn't say that, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> so well, the I, are are really amazing. <laughs> they are amazing. Yeah, this uh, this year, a couple of times, I interviewed uh, Paul Harch, MD, who wrote oh, a book Paul, on like oxygen, Paul. right? Yeah. And I do too. That's why I interviewed him several times, and we'll probably talk again. Yeah. And he's so yeah. enthused. And I and I had interviewed his kind of actually his mentor Richard Neubauer in the '90s or right. late '80s actually, sure. who's oh. kind of the father of HBO in a certain way. Oh, well, he got and, me going. I'll tell you that. He's okay, well, I interviewed him in the '90s, and I and I back in the actually that was the '80s. Back in the '80s. I thought HBO, that's like an amazing thing, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And I thought it was amazing then, and I still feel exactly the same way today. And in talking to Dr. Harch, he's got the same thing. I mean, even though he teaches at a university, and I think in Louisiana, they still won't really, you know, he's talking about we could be using HBO for this COVID thing, and people would have benefit, and, and it's still like nobody wants to talk about it. I don't know how he's still alive or in business because he's really out there <laughs> saying it. And it's like, wow, you're yeah. just saying that. And it's, you know, I guess they just sort of like, oh, him. Well, That's just him talking about well, it. Well, it, it's true that hyperbaric works because, number one, it, it uh, helps take away swelling. And, and this, uh, you know, people, you know, don't realize that when you have the virus particles hitting your lungs, it causes damage and that causes the, the uh, cell membranes to leak and all kinds of stuff goes into the cell osmotically and that causes everything to swell hyperbaric oxygen helps take away the swelling so that's one issue and then or benefit and then the other is that it generates stem cells out of your bone marrow so you're getting stem cells that float around and, and help heal all those damaged areas too so there are a lot of good things with hyperbaric the only trouble with hyperbaric is that every time you have a person in there that's got infected uh, you can't use that chamber for anybody else and because you have to clean that whole thing and that's almost impossible to do so uh, that's 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 the issue with with uh, with treating people with active COVID uh, in a hyperbaric chamber. If you have just just that, and that's all you're treating, uh, you know, in a hospital setting, an ICU or something, I think that'd be great. Otherwise, I think stem cells are by far better because they're so fast, quick, and easy, and you don't get anybody contaminated with, you know, from the person. They come in, they, they sit down in a chair, you keep them isolated, and give them stem cells, and out they go. And so that, that works fine for stem cells. So, um, but going back to Richard Newbar, he got me into stroke uh, and hyperbaric uh, at a meeting he was attending in, in Amsterdam, and uh, I attended that in 1991 or so early. I think it was March or so, and um, he had some videos of patients with uh, who were like one patient was most remarkable. He was uh, in a wheelchair. Uh, he was about uh, what was 56 years old, had a massive stroke, wheelchair bound. He can't walk. He can't use his arm. Uh, and he's somewhat, uh, um, let's say, obfuscated. He's not mentally all there. And he's gone through, he'd gone through uh, three, four years of 
physical therapy cost of $350,000, he was still in a wheelchair. And so Newbar put him in a hyperbaric chamber, and within two months or so, he was up walking around talking, and he comes on stage and says, hi, here I am. <laughs> and, and with that, I said, wow, this is amazing. Hyperbaric oxygen on, on certain cases is, is great. So like the latest thing on uh, it just came out a couple of days ago from Israel with hyperbaric oxygen showing that it has a profound anti-aging effect. And, and they actually measured the telomeres, and the telomeres were, were uh, longer, et cetera, et cetera. All, of, all the signs and, uh, and, and tests that we can do uh, showed that actually people get younger, literally younger, when they go through hyperbaric. Now, uh, that sounds great, but the only trouble is when you read the article, it's been a five-day-a-week. Uh, uh, type of therapy for three months. Well, hardly anybody's ever going to do that. And so they just drop back and say, well, what's causing that profound anti-aging youngering effect? I coined that word, youngering, because that tells you really the story. This is a youngering process. And uh, instead of anti-aging, this means you stop aging. Uh, And so nobody, there was never that word before I came along. (laughs) So now we have a new word, youngering. And so these people are youngering, but they, the reason for it, I think, is because of the growth factors. And growth factors are the key to stem cells and hyperbaric, et cetera. And most people don't hear about that much, but there are like 32 different growth factors in the body that are really active that you can look at and measure and actually sometimes actually get a hold of and use. But in general, the stem cells themselves make it, make these growth factors. And, and we, as a young person, uh, as, a, as a newborn baby, I measured the blood from an umbilical cord from a newborn baby and found that on the average, these growth factors measured about 10,000 uh, nano, let's see, uh, let's see, nano uh, grams per uh, deciliter, and so it's 10,000. And then for, from a 90-year-old, so that was in a young young baby, 10,000, uh, and then in a 90-year-old, uh, there was 100. And so that uh, the wow. uh, growth factors are, are almost zip uh, when you're old at 90. And if you think about it, when I was telling you about how stem cells help re, uh, regenerate the blood vessels and keep the blood vessels strong and healthy, uh, if you don't have these growth factors like VEGF, vascular, endothelial growth factor, if you don't have those, your blood vessels don't grow and, and cannot repair, and you wind up having hypoxia. Mitochondria can't use, uh, can't use your sugar, your, flu- your food, and so you can't make energy you're tired all the time you're fatigued you don't have the ability to repair and regenerate anything and so uh, the more stem cells you pump into an old person like that and get them to stay there you have more and more growth factors and you can see some tremendous uh, repair and regeneration it's it's a it's an exciting time uh, and we're uh, just uh, there's a lot of new things that uh, we can talk about is how how to do all of this well, and how um, there's so many areas. We're going to do another show. I can tell already. Um, that how let's talk. Let's jump to. I was going to talk about some of the other protocols, but I really want to jump fully into the stem cells. Talk about some of the sources of stem cells, and I want to ask a question about PRP versus stem cells. Is that the same family? Uh, platelet-rich plasma. Uh, so okay, all that. Sure. Uh, well. In general, to the public today, we have uh, basically three types of stem cells. One is fat. You can take your fat from your tummy, and it's a simple procedure. You, you know, it does take a, an anesthetic. You like lidocaine, and you do put a hole in your tummy. It's a, it's a small hole uh, about the size of, a, of uh, the uh, diameter of a lead pencil, uh, that kind of a thing, maybe a little bit bigger. Uh, and then you go in and, 
and uh, with a trocar, which is a, a tube, metal tube with a hole in it through it, you know, so it's hollow. And at the end is a little kind of a device or part that helps you extract the fat. So you, you put on a big syringe and, and you suck away the fat. Pretty soon you can get, uh, you know, anywhere from uh, 20 cc's of fat to 200 cc's of fat. And then you can process that. And out of that fat, you can get some stem cells. And then from there, you can put that into a joint or whatever. So that's a, that's a pretty good overall thing. And, and the only trouble is the FDA doesn't like it uh, because it's uh, manipulating uh, your tissues, whatever. They have all kinds of reasons. Uh, but in general, they don't come after the doctors because the doctor, you know, the doctors, for some reason, don't know a simple fact. And that is that the FDA has no jurisdiction over their medical practice. And so if the doctor were to know that, he could say at the front door, you're not allowed here. You have to show me a piece of paper that says that you have jurisdiction and they can't do that. So, uh, and, and, but the doctors don't know that because the FDA keeps scaring them and keeps telling them that it's illegal. It's illegal. The FDA says you can't do this and you can't do that. And so all the doctors are always scared about everything, but they really don't have to be because of this particular fact that we have state licenses, not FDA licenses. And so therefore we are, are under the jurisdiction of our state medical board. So that's, that's an important concept that, that, uh, that can help uh, the doctor if he were to know it. Now, now next one would be bone marrow. And, uh, and so the bone marrow is absolutely fantastic when from, uh, from the time I know the, the youngest child I've done is like two years old. Uh, about 30 pounds uh, of weight, uh, and uh, it's a little tricky because of the small size of the bones and all that, but, uh, you know, if you do it carefully and all that, you get, get some good results, like for cerebral palsy, that kind of thing. And then you have uh, uh, the, as you get older, uh, like uh, 17, 18, uh, in general, your athletic kind of thing, those uh, young people uh, that have accidents, uh, like, uh, you know, like maybe say a rotator cuff tear or, or some other kind of, musculoskeletal injury, uh, those people will respond dramatically well to their own bone marrow. So you can, you can have your doctor, if he doesn't know, he can figure out how to do it maybe and learn how to do it and use it. Uh, and so that I have seen really great results with that. So, and then we have, uh, as we get older though, um, our bone marrow stem cells t tend to get a little bit uh, uh, not so viable. Uh, not so good at making growth factors, et cetera. And so by the time you're, say, 50, if you're a uh, typical American not walking, not doing much exercise or whatever and eating a high-fat meal uh, type of thing, your, your stem cells in your bone marrow tend to be a little bit um, not as good as they should be. Um, and now uh, when you get to be 60, 70, 80, uh, they become more and more problematic. Uh, there's some uh, data that would say that fat stem cells in an older person is a little better than the bone marrow, but you can also tweak the bone marrow um, by uh, by some manipulations. Uh, it turns out that if you do a, a, a bone marrow over and over again, uh, the uh, repetitiveness of the bone marrow helps rejuvenate you, which is, I have seen that. Now, we talk about hyperbaric working for younger. Now, this is a good method that's that's not that expensive. You can you can do a bone marrow like every, uh, say, two, every two to three weeks. And if you do a bone marrow treatment, you take a needle and put it into your into your uh, your hip bone, that uh, bone that sticks out on your on your side there, uh, and that hip bone. Uh, you put a little local anesthetic in it. You put a, a trocar into that and, and suck out the bone marrow. I usually get about uh, uh, seven uh, sixty ml 
uh, syringes, uh, which is about 360 ml of bone marrow uh, at one time, which is a, a pretty good uh, amount. Most of only take one vial, and they charge you the same amount. So I take a lot and use a lot to, because I think the more is better. Uh, and so um, we uh, do that, and then you come back after three weeks and do it maybe on the other side. Uh, or you can do if you if you come from out of state, you can do it today. Uh, in fact, we can do it do it well. We can do it today, and then you can do another one tomorrow. But that doesn't give the bone marrow a time to regenerate and to be stimulated by the stem cells you just gave. So so you need a little time, about two weeks to three weeks, for uh, the bone marrow that you put into the body to stimulate the bone marrow that's left in your body. And when when it does, it makes those stem cells that are in your body stronger and healthier and more viable and more uh, powerful in terms of healing. And, and those, uh, are that, those stem cells are in your bone marrow and they are repairing and replacing your own tissue. So as you go through that process, your body gets healthier and healthier and healthier. So after maybe two months, maybe it, usually about six of these bone marrow treatments, you can see really some great results in terms of anti-aging or my younger kind of thing. So that's another approach that takes less time than hyperbaric. It's hyperbaric every day. This is once you come in, it's about a three-hour, two- to three-hour procedure every two to three weeks. And, and so that works pretty well for, for an anti-aging, youngering kind of approach. Then we have the next type of stem cell we use is um, um, a uh, umbilical cord blood, usually. Uh, we take the umbilical cord blood, isolate the uh, stem cells that are present, uh, and we then take those and put those into tissue culture flasks in my laboratory, and we grow those for about, oh, usually two to three weeks. And from then we have, uh, we take, uh, say, uh, we start off with uh, um, a million cells, and within three weeks we've got maybe a couple hundred million cells. And with that we can use those uh, anywhere in the body that we want to. Usually we give them intravenously, but uh, you can give them subcutaneously. You can give them into the nose, uh, up, the, up the nose, intranasally. And you can give them you know, into the spine for treatment of uh, spinal disease. So there's a lot of different things you can do with those. And they have all great properties. Uh, the, there's a lot of people that think that umbilical cord stem cells are going to be a problem. And, and, and there is a problem with umbilical cord stem cells by uh, other doctors. Uh, and the reason the other, I say other doctors is because other doctors don't have their own stem cell lab. And if you have your own stem cell lab, then you can make pure stem cells. But if you don't have, you have to buy stem cells from some other person or some other lab that makes them. Now, what the, the FDA tells these other labs to do is that they cannot grow them, and it's illegal for them to grow stem cells in their lab because that would make them uh, more than minimally manipulated. That's the rule. You have to have no manipulation of the cells, and culturing cells, uh, according to the FDA, is more than minimal manipulation, and then that's illegal. But since I'm telling you I'm not under the jurisdiction of the FDA, I do it anyway because it's as far as the FDA is concerned, it's illegal. But since I don't fall under the jurisdiction, I can do it. So, but the other doctors don't have the lab, which is, you know, I have about $800,000 worth of lab equipment. You know, most doctors don't want to spend $500 for a microscope. It's amazing. 
uh, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> if you're going to, you're going to treat people, you need the equipment, you need all this stuff. You don't, you know, you just can't wing it. But in any case, those doctors are buying from, there's about 20 to 30 of these companies around that are taking umbilical cords. They can buy them and grind them up. They actually grind them up in a hood and then they put them in vials and they give them to the doctors. And what you got is stem cells plus then the baby's tissues and you have reactions to the baby's tissues. And so the doctors are always having to give you steroid shots to help compensate to, to make sure you don't have adverse reactions and you can damn near die from some of these people by giving stem cells. So, so it's good to come to somebody like me who has actual pure stem cells. I've done it now for 20 years, over 10,000, like 10,000 patients, 200,000 shots. Uh, I've had five adverse reactions and they were mild, mild you know, nothing serious at all. Like, and that was a reaction to the uh, preservative because we, we, oftentimes freeze them down in a solution of DMSO, uh, 5% DMSO, and some people, rare people, will have a little adverse reaction to the DMSO, which is a, acts as a preservative, keep these cells alive and healthy, because when we saw them, we want them to be absolutely as viable and as powerful as we can have them. So that's that. So those are the different kinds of stem cells that are available today on the market. And what are the differences between IV application versus localized? Is that just depending upon what you're, I'll use the term, working on? You're trying to, if you have a bad joint, probably better to inject it into the joint versus IV. What are the differences between those two? Well, that's a very good question. Um, the, uh, well, uh, a joint is not a problem, uh, first of all, uh, because it's very simple. Uh, you know, there's a lot of doctors out there will tell you that, oh, you need a, you need um, a C-arm, you need an ultrasound, you need this, you need that. In general, that's not true. Uh, and so they use that as a way of uh, attracting you to their practice. But in general, you don't need that because, uh, you know, putting a, a needle into a knee is like you can do that with your eyes closed and with one hand behind your back. It's so easy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so. But when you, you, know, you put it in and you inject the stem cells and then you move it around. And so now the whole joint is full of these stem cells. And, and so they just, you know, truck along and, and help repair. Now, what's nice about the joint is that it's somewhat hypoxy and stem cells like that hypoxia to grow in. And so uh, if you just let, the, let it alone and, and don't go back to running and jumping and all that kind of thing for a few weeks, you have a good chance of having a very good repair process go on. So, uh, so some people then say, well, what about heavy metals and about infections, et cetera? And it's been my observation that in joints, you don't have to worry about these different aspects of, of uh, stem cells because in, in general, uh, we are, I and uh, uh, Neil Reardon down in Panama, uh, we have uh, discovered by, you know, just doing this over and over and that uh, people who have high amounts of mercury or lead or cadmium have a tendency not to get better. And that's if we give them intravenous uh, systemic stem cells. And so that the stem cells, as they're trying to grow, just, just and you think about it as if you're, you're just got pregnant. Uh, and so if you just got pregnant, uh, you know, forget the sex right now, but let's say you're a man and you got, just got pregnant, okay? What, what's happening is that the baby is trying to grow, and it's starting from a tiny little thing, and it's starting with what? It starts with blood vessels. And so it's, it forms tissue, and it has to have blood vessels. And, and that, those blood vessels and tissue can grow together, and it keeps growing. And so uh, if uh, there's uh, heavy metals in the system, then uh, within two to three weeks of growth, uh, the stem cells are affected by those heavy metals and will die. 
And so, uh, you know, if they're high enough. And that's one of the reasons why the FDA and, and the government uh, says uh, for women who are pregnant, uh, do not eat fish with mercury and do not, uh, you know, get exposed to toxin, toxins and, and uh, uh, da, 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 you know, a lot of things uh, that are poison you don't want to be uh, getting into your body because uh, these stem cells are uh, growing as if you have a new baby inside of you. They're not, it's not a new baby, but it's new tissue, and it works the same way. So you want to really prevent any kind of, of uh, heavy metals or, or infections in your system uh, if you want to get good results. So, um, uh, But in a joint, you don't have to worry about that. But in, in systemic diseases, you do. So like if you're treating autoimmune, you have to make sure you should uh, check for heavy metals. Now, a lot of doctors will do stupid things like hair analysis. I think it's stupid because I've done 20,000 hair analysis and I, after, and I tried every lab there was, and this was from like 78 through uh, 98 or something. I tried, you know, you know, every, every patient I would have hair analysis, da, 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 da. And, you know, it's so sporadic and so hard to analyze. I just finally gave up and I went to what's called a DMSA challenge test where you take this DMSA, dimer captosuccinic acid. And for the average person, they take like five caps in the morning, they're 100 milligram caps. And you take those in the morning and collect your urine for six hours, take some of that urine, send it off to the lab for heavy metal testing. And it's like less than 100 bucks. And from that, you can tell whether or not you've got this problem because you surely don't want to spend 3000 or $10,000 on stem cells and have high mercury. And it just all goes to hell because you didn't check your heavy metals. And, you know, like if you have mercury to silver amalgams, you may very well have that. Or if you eat a lot of, of a lot of fish, you could have that. And, and I can tell you stories about people who have got uh, mercury poisoning from eating fish. I've seen lots of people, you know, there's another story controversial, which is autism and in vaccines and, and getting sick. Now, whether or not that's mercury or not, I'm not so sure. They say it's not, but, you know, there's always that suspicion that there's that involved too. So, uh, and then going back to uh, how to how to give it IV or subcutaneously for those uh, systemic diseases. So like you're treating Alzheimer's or ALS or um, whatever, uh, diabetes, something, uh, you could do it either IV or subcutaneously because the results are pretty much generally the same. Uh, so for example, kids that are like under two or babies, I tend to always use subcutaneous because it's uh, so difficult to get an IV into them. And I see great results with those kids, no matter what, which way I do it. But again, kids are kids and they have got lots and lots of growth factors. So uh, they do well with almost everything. Uh, so uh, if you have a child with, with any kind of uh, physical deformity or, or paralysis or uh, whatever, uh, before the age of 12 is the magic number. At the age of 12, the results start to get less. Uh, you know they're still they're still good. They can be. I don't say they're not bad, but but they're not spectacular. You know, and when you know, like uh, for example, um, I had my best one at 12 was a child that had had cerebral palsy from the time of birth till the 12, and had had again about three hundred thousand dollars worth of physical therapy, occupational therapy, and came to me and got one shot, one shot of, of umbilical cord stem cells, and within one month the mother calls me up and says, you know, and you won't believe this, but my daughter is better today than, and she's got better results from your one shot of stem cells than all those last 12 years of physical therapy, speech therapy, and occupational therapy. Amazing. <laughs> so, wow. so you can see, you can see great results with kids. Now you don't see them always. Now let's just talk for a moment about 
you know, where we fail because, uh, you know, we're talking about, uh, I did a, a review on cerebral palsy here a while back on, on my cases, and we had about a 78% success rate. Now that means that 78% of the patients had some improvement. Now we, we always, we, we divided into mild, moderate, and great kind of thing. And so we had like a third of those had mild results, positive results, and, and a third had moderate results, and, and another third had great results. And so you don't know which one is which at this point. Now, we've been, I have been looking into uh, these different situations and trying to determine exactly why we're failing all this. And I might have discovered it. I'm, I'm working on it. But uh, it, uh, if you don't mind, I just uh, rattle off a little bit about my latest findings. Uh, that Please. I'm, I'm thinking we need to, uh, uh, in a, and I'm working on trying to uh, use, and that is that um, some years ago, uh, back in 2001, 2002, 2003, uh, people were, you know, coming out of the woodwork trying to get, you know, whenever uh, you have a new therapy, people want to, you know, learn about it and use it if possible. And so people started coming in from all over the world for stem cells because I was one of the few doing it. Uh, I did the first clinical trials on, on cerebral palsy in Mexico with stem cells, for example. In any case, uh, so... Here we are with uh, these people coming in and wanting to try this and this. And one of the kinds of cases was chronic kidney disease and, and renal failure. And so there were, you know, mm-hmm. there's nothing uh, worse than having to go to dialysis three times a week. Uh, and so that, uh, you know, is rather limiting your lifestyle and whatnot. So uh, people who have money and, and whatnot would like to get, you know, their kidneys working again. And so they would come and they would say, you know, give me stem cells. And we'd try, I tried every which way I could. I tried bone marrow, whatever. I tried, I tried all kinds of umbilical cords intravenously, intra-arterially. I ran catheters up into their kidneys and shot them in. You know, it was like anything and everything I could do, I did. And I still didn't get good results. And to this day, we don't still have good results from kidney disease, okay? And then hmm. the question is why? And so, uh, and it turns out that there's the thing uh, there's some poisons in the blood, in the urine, uh, uh, basically in the blood of people with uh, chronic kidney disease. And, and those are called small molecular weight uremic toxins. And these uh, small molecular weight uremic toxins uh, are protein bound. And uh, they uh, are, um, we, we thought, I thought, that these were just a byproduct of, you know, metabolism and whatever. Uh, and so... Uh, and then so the kidney dialysis machine cannot uh, get that, get rid of them. It's uh, uh, the the dialysis requires larger molecules to to uh, uh, filter out, and, and so they can't uh, get these small molecules. And so no matter how much dialysis you get, you can't get rid of them. And so I just kind of gave up and and put it on uh, to the side and was trying to figure out you know uh, that maybe somebody else is going to come up with the answer. And, uh, it was beyond me. But then here recently in the last couple of years been some new discoveries uh, that show that these small molecular weight uremic toxins are actually produced by, guess what, bacteria in the gut. Huh. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. That is totally amazing. Okay. And so now if, and you can look that up yourself, you can just go put in Google, put in gut microbes and uh, uh, uremic toxins and you'll find all kinds of papers about it. Uh, some of these molecules, uh, one uh, the main one is called indoxyl sulfate, and the other one is uh, cresol sulfate. And there's about six of these molecules that are uh, would have toxic effects on your blood vessels. 
They prevent your stem cells from working. They prevent the stem cells from growing. They prevent uh, regeneration of your kidney, et cetera, et cetera. And so it may very well be that those people that we see failures with when we have stem cells may have these bugs in, our, in their gut that is, you know, causing these uremic poisons, even though they have good kidneys. So you can have these poisons in your system without without poor kidneys. Your kidneys can be working fine, but you still have all these toxins in your system. And so these toxins can contribute to that. Now, uh, just to go one step further, uh, one of the organisms that's found in the gut is called Bacterioides fragilis. Now, if you do a comprehensive digestive stool test, which is called a CDSA, I recommend that for anybody who's thinking about who has any kind of chronic disease, you have the, the, my recommended test battery chronic disease patients that want to get better as a chronic as, a, as this comprehensive digestive stool test a urine organic acid a quantitative urine organic acid test and the dmsa challenge test and with those you can pretty well tell whether or not you got uh, chronic yeast or whatever all these things so so it turns out that that yeast is part of this whole package as well generally and so you have yeast as part of it uh, and you have uh, the bacteroides and now bacteroides is, is interesting because, uh, like I say, it's been thought to be just a normal bug in the gut, and so we don't have to worry about it. And, it, and the report comes back and says bacteroides, four plus. Okay, so what? It's in, in, the, it's in that area. It says green. Uh, when you're looking at the report, it says green, commensal, don't worry. Okay, but turns out that bacteroides, uh, when it comes in contact with any aluminum in your diet, which is mm. prevalent, uh, you know, any processed food has, uh, has aluminum, and so when it does that, it forms a microaggregates, which are toxic and goes into the system and goes in. And if you have yeast in the gut, it opens up the gut barrier and allows all this junk from the gut to get into your blood and circulate. Now, when it gets in the spinal cord, it can get into and cause uh, multiple sclerosis, for example. And so now you have uh, aluminum in your cord and that bacteroides makes gamma inter, uh, makes interferon as well. And so now you have two things. Interferon stimulates the immune system. Aluminum stimulates the immune system. And it happens to be at, in, the, in the cord and in, and in the myelin. And so now you have your, your body stimulated to attack it. Okay, so now all of these things are, are made, generated to attack your spinal cord. And so there's the whole answer for MS, multiple sclerosis. And if you measure and if you want to look it up, you look up Google, do a Google search on multiple sclerosis and aluminum, and you'll see that there's a tremendous amount of aluminum in patients with, with multiple sclerosis. So it all fits, okay? And now, so now the question is, how do you get rid of all that and all that kind of thing? That's another story. So, but in any case, the point is that these bacteria may very well be the key point to a lot of different diseases that we never even thought possible. That, that how could the gut bacteria cause so many of these problems? And yet here's one that has all of the, all of the makings of, of the actual cause of multiple sclerosis. So what you want to do there, if you can, is get rid of, you know, for example, they all have yeast. And, and so everybody with MS, uh, ALS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, they almost all have chronic candida in their gut. Well, candida is toxic and it allows... You know, it causes irritation of the gut wall and allows uh, the toxins to get in from the gut into the blood. And now you've got, uh, you know, got issues. And it, not only that, but it suppresses your immune system. So your immune system cannot fight back and kill the yeast or kill the bugs. And so it's, 
it's a it's a it's a like a Trojan horse. It gets into the body and manipulates the system, so you cannot fight back. And so that yeast is bad because of a variety of things. Once you get you can treat. I've treated patients with just just antifungals, and I've seen great improvements in like Parkinson's and and whatnot. So uh, it's it's important in and MS. Um, you know, MS was first described as being caused by Candida back in what 1988 in the Journal of Orthomolecular Medicine, which is a strange, very esoteric journal. I didn't believe it at the time, but you know, over time I figured out that maybe there's some truth to it, and I think there is a lot of truth to it. So you have to measure. Uh, you know, these things like candida, you can do that by doing blood tests. You can do the, uh, the and besides those tests I mentioned before, uh, blood tests like immunoglobulin, IgA, IgG, IgM against candida. I also like to measure Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is the baker's yeast, brewer's yeast, and because a lot of people have allergies to that too. So all of those things are important to understand what to do about uh, the yeast problem, but but in addition, then you have to work on the bacterioides and whatnot. So in my ALS patients now, I have gone, you know, I've treated lots and lots of ALS patients, which is, you know, uh, very they're very difficult to treat. Uh, nobody's got an answer. So, uh, but they all have yeast. Everyone. Uh, There's a paper out of uh, out of Spain here about three or four years ago, uh, where uh, they uh, found at autopsy 62 patients with ALS all had yeast infections. Then a year later, two years later, they did another repeat study on. A, I think the same group, and they found that not only did they have yeast in their brain and spinal cord, but they also had bacterial uh, particles in all of them. So that, that there's no question that that ALS is involved has has yeast and bacteria involved. In addition, they have uh, an activated neutrophil. Uh, systems, which indicates that there's endotoxins, which are the poisons in the gut that are getting into the system. So they have all of these things that are all working together to cause these toxic particulates to get in through the injury in the neck. And now if you look at the cervical spine of these people, they have a leaky spinal uh, blood-brain barrier right there, and usually they have uh, degenerative joint disease, uh, osteoarthritis, C6, I mean, C3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and, and, and the person who develops paralysis on the right side, for example, will have osteoarthritis of the neck uh, spine uh, bones on the right side. And if, uh, they have, uh, if the ALS starts on the left, they have arthritis on the left side. And so that there's a cause and relationship there. And I think the reason why all this is happening is because of the fact that that these particulates are circulating constantly and when the person re-injures that area that's uh, damaged from the arthritis then that allows these particulates to get into the cord and cause problems and we know that the cord is full of particulates because uh, they they've shown that uh, they can take the cerebral spinal fluid measure that tissue culture etc and find and show that this is toxic material another thing that's just been described is that that um, that the spinal cord of these people uh, they they cannot transport their cerebral spinal fluid, and so the cerebral spinal fluid in these patients are like zip. They cannot usually they they uh, the cerebral spinal fluid uh, circulates through the cord 12 times per minute. In these people, uh, it's down to six times. And in, in fact, one of the patients that they were studying uh, had absolutely no flow in their cerebral spinal fluid. Well, think about it. If you have toxins in your circulating in your cerebral spinal fluid and they're just sitting and the cord is sitting there with those toxins obviously that's going to cause damage and so what uh, what i've done in my office is we come up with a way of treating that and and you could talk to your doctors about that and that's called a spinalator 
a spine leader is kind of a table mm. that you lay on, has rollers. You can see it at the chiropractor's office, and it rolls your spine. So that moves your spine, so it helps the cerebral spinal fluid move. So if you have one of these serious diseases, you might think about spending a couple thousand dollars and getting one of those things for your house, because that way you can keep your spinal fluid moving at least. And so uh, in my office, I do that. And, and the cord in these people are also is also hypoxic. Uh, as I mentioned, with all these toxins, they cause this interference with the, the formation of VEGF vasculitis, either growth act, which causes the loss of, of uh, ability to repair and regenerate these capillaries. And by the way, the capillaries are leaking in, in these people too. So they leak albumin and the albumin is what causes the, the uh, binds the toxins, those uremic toxins. So you have in the blood, the albumin is binding the uremic toxins that are being generated by these uh, gut bacteria. And also the platelets are doing that. So you talked about platelet-rich plasma. Well, if you have platelet-rich plasma that's full of toxins, it's not really such a good thing to be giving uh, to a person with ALS or MS or, or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or any of those kind of conditions. So, but it's, it's great for, for joints. So PRP is great for joints. Uh, and you can mix it with stem cells and get even better results. And so uh, I use I use that both. Uh, and uh, and so that's uh, where that's at. So uh, I'm going to stop talking because I think you need to digest all that. No, no, that's that's a with lot your, to digest. Um, yeah, exactly. Just with my gut microbes. I think it's amazing to me how many roads lead back to the gut. It really, I mean, and everybody, all the doctors that I talk to and your emphasis is really once we start getting the term leaky involved anywhere in our body, it's tricky to trouble. And everything, not everything, but so many things come back to having some gut issue that then leaks things into the system that are not supposed to be just wandering around loose. And with leaky anything, it's not good. But the gut is really like the mothership of, oh, it started there, and it goes forth. And, and that's really, I think, extraordinary that there's so much conversation. I remember when, you know, acidophilus was leading-edge thinking, and now it's, <laughs> you know, like, oh, my God, you're well, taking what? Yeah. You're eating non-pasteurized yogurt? Why would you do that? Uh, you know, those kinds yeah. of things. So, so well, we many things lead way, back to the to go on what kind of We have a long way to go on what type of acidophilus or uh, these gut-friendly bacteria we can use for a particular disease. So I would think in the next 10 years, we're going to see a lot more uh, attention being paid to this particular uh, gut-friendly gut bacteria uh, to use for this particular disease as compared to where we are today. Well, we don't really know which one is good. We just know that maybe they're all good, maybe, and we hope. And so, or we try a lot, you know, like uh, I've tried, uh, you know, one one kind or or three or four different brands, and and I found that if you take uh, for some cases anyway, uh, if you take three different companies and there are three three different products, and you use all three, you get a better result than if you just use one. And so so there's a lot of tricks to this whole trade yet. Yeah, yeah. And I want to jump back to uh, this was a question that floated through chat and a question that I w wanted to ask also. Regarding EDTA chelation, uh, I have a, multiple questions. One is, will that take care of or really help with the removing mercury from the system? And does it have to be IV or can we also do oral chelation and have benefit? Well, uh, that's a good question. I think it's well worth talking about because uh, in my opinion, 
you know, I used to teach EDTA, that's ethylene, diamine, tetracetic acid, um, uh, chelation therapy. Uh, that, uh, tet- that EDTA is basically like four vinegar molecules strung together, hooked all together to form some kind of a, like a, 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 a claw. And that's where the uh, word comes from. Chelation comes from the Greek, chelios, for claw. And so uh, this material, when you put it into your body, tends to grab a hold of things like lead and uh, iron, uh, calcium, and will then uh, cause it to be excreted through your urine uh, generally and somewhat through your stool. Uh, so now the, uh, the question about whether or not it's uh, useful for mercury is, is a good one. But uh, if, uh, uh, and, and many doctors don't look it up and don't think about it, and they just go ahead and chelate because that's what they know to do. And so you have to, you know, when you're talking to a doctor. Now, the doctors that generally do this uh, are listed under ACAM, A-C-A-M dot O-R-G, A-C-A-M dot O-R-G, ACAM. Uh, and so if you need a doctor in your area that does all these kind or a lot of these things, you can go to that website and find a doctor close to you. Now, you have to check with that doctor, though, because every doctor is different. And so a lot of doctors join things, and they, they know a little bit, but they don't know enough. And so if they don't know enough, they will go ahead and chelate you because that's what they learned. Uh, and uh, they don't think about that fact that EDTA does not bind with mercury. In fact, if you have EDTA and mercury uh, together, they actually can cause some harm to the person. So I always try to never do EDTA when there's high mercury. So my DMSA challenge test that I was talking about before measures mercury, measures uh, um, uh, lead, and a variety of other things. And if that comes back positive for mercury, high, high mercury, I will treat with DMSA orally uh, because that's safe and simple. And you can do that at home and it doesn't cost much. And so I think uh, that uh, you have to be careful about who you're talking to because, uh, you know, medicine's a business too. I got to pay my bills and, and your doctor there has got to pay his bills. And so if he can convention that you need chelation, he can make 50 bucks or something and every time you come in and that's money that he can pay his staff with. So you have to be a little bit aware yourself that, that, you know, when you get your heavy metal test back, that if you have high mercury, you can just do DMSA. You don't have to worry about the oral, you know, and now again, oral too, if you look up oral EDTA uh, uh, and, and they did uh, studies on, on rats uh, with, with rectal and they found that uh, it was toxic to the gut and uh, and so uh, and you can see that once in a great while with just standard EDTA that is like for example um, if you uh, uh, you're getting chelation I just here's a couple of cases and here you are you're getting chelation and you've got heart disease etc but you decide to take a break you're going to go on vacation for a couple three weeks and go visit relatives and so you come back after three weeks and sit down in the chair and say well I had 20 20 ml before I mean you know we're going to do it again. So we give him the same dose we did three weeks before. And what happens? He has a tremendous bad reaction. And the reason is because the, he's been eating junk food. He's been eating sugars and whatnot. He's got a lot of yeast in the system, et cetera. And when you give him the chelation, it does tend to open up the uh, gut wall and allows that, uh, those uh, bad bugs, uh, endotoxins, they're called, to get into the system. And you can have an endotoxin reaction from EDTA if you have all this junk in your system and, and you haven't, uh, you know, gotten cleaned it up, cleaned it up. So, so EDTA 
does tend to irritate the gut a little bit, IV, and and uh, and so you have to be careful of that. So you just have to you know keep your you know keep your diet well and all that, you'll be fine. Uh, so uh, anyway, the uh, the point was that, that DMSA oral DMSA is a very safe and simple technique. Uh, pills you just take. Uh, you generally take one with each meal for four days and you skip for three days and you do that for like anywhere from a, a month to three months. It depends upon your situation. Now, if you need to have, if you're dying or something, that's a different story. And then we may have to do something else to help, help you get through that. So if you have that kind of a problem and you need immediate therapy, then you can do things like take selenium along with, uh, with your stem cells. Uh, and there's a few other things you can do to help mitigate the, the effect uh, of the uh, of that, uh, uh, so uh, in any case, uh, it's it's uh, tricky if you have high mercury and uh, uh, you have a serious disease and and you like to die from it. And so at that point, you, you need to have something that's more active, or or you need to blunt the effect of the mercury on the stem cells. And so things like uh, glutathione, N-acetylcysteine, uh, sulfur-containing. Uh, diet, uh, the cruciferous vegetables are all beneficial in that uh, situation. And when you say have a bad reaction, do you mean is that a Herxheimer reaction or is that really a toxic load yeah. from stuff yeah, being let loose? Kind of tox- yeah, you just, oh, you know, the people, like I say, they had, they've been eating too much sugar, they got too much yeast, and the gut is, uh, you know, uh, maybe, they, maybe something else is in that gut, but in any case, it's You know, you don't want to be eating. You know, nobody should be eating a lot of sugar all the time, especially right. if you have a chronic disease, because chronic diseases are are made worse by these gut bacteria, made worse by gut yeast, and all of those things have toxins and they irritate the gut wall. Allow these toxins to get into your blood. They circulate. They go to your joints. And you know, if you have if you have a, a pain in your joint. You know, here you are walking along doing nothing, nothing normal, everything's normal, and then here's your right knee goes crazy or your finger goes crazy and it starts to swell and get hot and red and sick. Well, that's generally because you've got endotoxins coming from your gut, getting into your blood and circulating, and then they lodge in a mm. tree. And now you have this, mm. this pain that comes in, and you have no idea why, but that's why, because you got a leaky gut and you didn't realize what you're doing. Something you did, you know, the day before or whatever is causing this. So you can stop and say, well, what the hell was that about? And you go back and say, oh, I ate wheat, you know, and wheat turns out to be a, a major factor. And, uh, and we may as well mention that for a moment. Barley, rye, oats, and wheat. B-R-O-W, you can remember that. All those are gluten-containing foods, and that gluten causes uh, a loss of, of uh, villi, uh, um, uh, ability of the villi in your intestinal tract to absorb, and it opens up the, uh, the gut so you have more toxins uh, able to get into the system. So COVID has now been found to be associated with uh, the gut, and so the, the more of these, uh, the wheat, barley, oats, and whatnot uh, that you eat, the more likely you are to come down with bad COVID. Just yesterday, I was looking at uh, the TV and some emergency room doctor, I think it was Ann Arbor, Michigan, yeah, 30, what is he, 28 years old, uh, athletic, running five miles a day, eating everything, supposedly healthy diet, et cetera, et cetera. He comes down with COVID and he's like to die. And he's telling the story, and, and he says, well, I, was, I got up one morning, and I was going to have a sandwich. <laughs> and I got mm. sick. I said, so, well, obviously, if you're going to have a sandwich, you've got wheat in your diet. 
So now I'm not saying this situation was just because he had wheat, but if you look up wheat uh, and COVID on Google, you'll find that there are papers that talk about how every population that has no gluten in their diet hardly has any COVID. And so we have, wow. if we look at all around the world, the people that are not eating barley, rye, oats, and wheat, they have a very low incidence of COVID. And all those countries that are eating wheat uh, and, and whatnot have a higher, much higher uh, incidence. So, so that's, you know, you, you can believe it or not, but it doesn't hurt much to stop eating wheat right now until this damn thing is over. So that's, that's another story. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm kind of not shocked that we're already at the end of our show <laughs> because I knew, I knew that you were a resource of great information. And I want to ask, uh, we, I'm, I'm certain we'll have another conversation down the road, uh, because there's so many directions to talk about here, but, uh, where can people find your book? Oh, actually I have somebody in chat asking me, do you sell DMSA on your site? Is it available over the counter? Can we just get it? No, unfortunately that's a prescription and it has to be compounded. So you're going to have to talk oh. to your doctor about okay. it. Okay. Or, or, you know, if you have a problem and, want me to be your doctor, then you have to call my office. And, and my office number is 949-367-8870. Call them up and, and see what they can do to help you. They might be able to refer you to somebody. But ACAM, the doctor, www.acam.org, should be able to give you a doctor that can help you with that. Okay, great. Thank you. And where would you like the people to find out more information about you and to find your books? Well, uh, stroke doctor dot whatever it is, stroke what is it? stroke doctor dot com, I guess it is. Uh, that should that gets you into my website and whatnot. You can also follow me on Facebook if you want me to if you want to listen to my haranguing about Trump and whatever. I think you know basically I think Trump is absolutely crazier than a loon, and and he's you know just I cannot understand how people can can support this guy who has done so much harm to this country and will continue to do so much harm to this country. I just it just is beyond my understanding whatsoever. So if somebody could help me understand that, uh, you know, it would be great. But, uh, you know, I was just watching a, a thing on Obama and how the Republicans just went crazy on Obama and made up all this false information. And that false information started with Trump. And it just has been propagated over and over again by all these people. And they all start, they now, now become believers in Trump. I don't know, it's just craziness. And so here we are at Thanksgiving, and we have 50 million people traveling who are, you know, putting us all at risk because of their traveling and not wearing masks and all that. So it's, it's a serious and, and sick society we're living in because of Trump, as far as I'm concerned. Sorry about my dialogue, but, I, you know, just craziness. <laughs> As I, as I said, there's a whole other show. There are many shows. Um, that, that was Wear really great. <laughs> Wear your mask. Wash your hands, for God's sake. Um, well, if, anybody wants to, if anybody wants to donate, you go to my Facebook, David Steenblock, and there's a donation, book, a donation page there for my nonprofit because I'm trying to get people to donate so I can get my COVID information out to people because it's, there's a lot of, you know, there's about a thousand papers being published a day. There's no way that one person can handle all of that and pull it all together and tell you this is the right thing. But I think if I have a team of three or four people helping me, I can put it all together so you can do this and this and this and this and this. And when you start having the symptoms, you do all these things and there's no more COVID, uh, you know, symptoms and all that. So uh, that would be nice if anybody could donate a, a, a dollar or two. 
I'll add your Facebook page to the uh, show notes so people can find it there Thanks. as well. Um, that was much. really great. Uh, thank you very much, Doctor. I knew it was going to be a great conversation, and it was even more than I thought. So thank you so much. All right, and, All right thank you very much. Thanks, and everybody have a great, have a great rest have of a, the week. You too. Thank you. Have a great Thanksgiving. Stay at home. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wash your hands. <laughs>